0: This is a podcast from 3RRR102.7FM in Melbourne,
1: truly independent community radio.
0: Good morning, radio therapists, and welcome to the radiotherapy. I am Dr. Doolittle, and you are listening to 3RRR. Now, first up, massive thanks to all those who subscribe. The only reason I'm bringing it up now is because we saw the results in the last few weeks, and the numbers are <sighs> fantastic, which means all of you are fantastic. Hey, we've got an action-packed show for you this morning. We have a special guest in the studio, Dr Bronwyn King, who is a radiation oncologist who discovered her, and in fact nearly all health workers, had superannuation that invested in tobacco. What she did is surprising, and while I'm on that fantastic word, fantastic! Stay tuned to find out her secret. (laughs) So I've got a teaser for you. I've thrown in a teaser in the intro. Also, we have three of our most trusted panellists, Dr Training Wheels, the world's greatest medical student, Dr Capri, the world's greatest GP, and the panel beater, the world's greatest mystery. (laughs) I don't know know what he does. I've never found out. I tried to ask him once and he started explaining and my eyes glazed over and I can't remember anything. (laughs) Now, today's topics are broad. We've got the flu. We've got apps for meditation. And why they're a little ho-hum. Is that true? Are they ho-hum? We'll find out. Also, we have got things that your GP should do. So, sit back, brew a cuppa, close your eyes and meditate to a bit of radiotherapy on 3RRR. Oh, we're getting... Doctor,
1: doctor, give me the news, I got it.
0: Okay, team, we are on the air. Everything was going on at once there. My sister was ringing me on my phone. Whilst we were also pressing buttons and doing everything, how is everyone? What about you, training? Well, let's start with you.
1: Not bad. I thought you were sounding very smooth this morning, Doolittle. You're I usually know. a bit more frenetic. It was a bit more sort of easy listening do I know, I know vibe. what
0: made me so smooth. I know, I slept so much yesterday.
1: Oh, <laughs> that's right. You did say that.
0: Because I think I've got African sleeping sickness. Mm. I, think that's, I slept seriously yesterday for about 15, 16 hours. I have no idea why. It's no, just neither bizarre. do I. Hey, no you were, aren't you slap bang in the middle of um, exams? I am. I am. Are you passing?
1: Oh, look, we'll see about that. I hope you know, so. I
0: hope so. You know, I used to have this thing in exams. Capri will remember because we were at uni together. But, you know, I swear, if I wa- I'd walk out of exams sometimes just fist pumping. It's going, <laughs> I, I aced that one. And other times I'd walk out going, oh, gee, that was really tough. And invariably the fist pumps I failed and the really tough ones I passed. <laughs> I can I, just
1: never tell. Well, can I ended up tell. coming up
0: with the theory that if I think I did well... It's obviously because I was just so dumb. I didn't even, you know, <laughs> it was no classic Dunning, you know the Dunning-Kruger effect, the thing that says, you know, if you're pretty dopey, you're so damn dopey that you don't realise that everyone around you is smart and so you think you're smart. So I had the exam Dunning-Kruger effect happening. You know, I'd go in there, go oh, gee, I just aced that, and it had turned out, no, there was 15 causes for that disease, and I only knew one. <laughs> you know, what causes lung cancer? Ah, smoking, smoking. And whereas everyone else would be able to list 10 things, and so, yeah. Yeah, I think
1: you're right. So I
0: hope you don't come out fist-pumping.
2: Yeah, the and social sciences, you're just doing it. Essays
0: and oh, theses so no and
2: stuff like that. You know, you don't have those exam it's moments. Oh, it's nice
1: pretty demoralising. Nice
0: to see you over there too, um panel beta Oh, it's great to be here. What about you? You know, my boss, who used to be my old boss, who was a professor. He once, I once said to him, when I first got a whole lot of essays to mark, and you, you get this pile of essays to mark when you're working at the union. You know, it might be like a, a foot high. I kid you not. And you look at it, yeah. and, you know, and you think, I'm going to die if I have to read all of those. <laughs> and I said to him, how do you do it? How do you do it? And he said, look, to be honest, I drop them on the stairs and those that land at the top get an A and those that land at the bottom oh, get a D. No. And that's pretty much it. Capri, how are you?
3: <laughs> I think I was at the bottom of that pile most of the time.
0: Yeah, it was just yeah, bad no luck. It wasn't I, you. No
3: wonder. Yeah, wonder it wasn't I didn't you. Do as well it was as the stairs. There's,
2: yeah. been, there's been studies along these kinds of lines. Like, for example, um, people have studied how judges make decisions after oh, lunch oh. and before lunch. Um, and I suspect when you're marking essays, a similar kind of thing... Uh Well, I know know for myself. I
0: didn't read this article but did anyone see during the week, there was an article saying that if you have heart surgery in the afternoon you have a higher, lower survival rate than if you have it in the morning. And I didn't read it but I assume it's because the surgeons are a little bit more (laughs) alert in the morning. They haven't had their lunchtime Chardonnay or whatever it is they drink. Hey, before we go on, we better say hello to um, (laughs) Dr. Bronwyn King, Radiation Oncologist Special Guest. Lift that mic up a bit so everyone can hear you.
4: Thanks for having me in today. I'm just so happy I'm not the one sitting (laughs) exams.
0: I know. It's
4: bringing back terrible memories. At Melbourne Uni, we actually Actually, had exams on Melbourne Cup Day oh. during the Melbourne Cup, yeah. and I, know, I used to think year. that should be illegal. I it's know. un-Australian. It shouldn't happen. <laughs> I agree. We were the only people in the entire world who had no idea who'd won the Melbourne Cup, and we'd all <laughs> run out going, "Well, who won? Who won?"
0: It had ruined Cup Week every year.
4: It did. It was terrible.
0: God, those universities are so dumb when it comes to priorities. Don't they know what we <laughs> want to do with <laughs> our lives? Cup Week. Hey, and uh, anyone actually going to go to that racing, race, racing, race, horse no, racing not thing? Me. No. No, nah, nah. no. What about not, you?
4: No, not this year. Not on your
0: Nelly.
3: <laughs> <laughs> not on am, your Nelly. Actually, not on a Nelly. Not on I'm actually
0: a Nelly. i back at uni tutoring. There, there's no public
3: holiday, So, yeah, it's a
0: yeah. same thing. I've got to be honest, I hate Cup Day because I worked at the races from when I was 16 to when I finished uni. So every Saturday I tend to do the races during the day, trots at night, maybe one. You know, that was my part-time job. So, the you know, I couldn't think of anything worse than going back to the races. <laughs> I was just like, nah. Vomiting people, um, rude people, you know, shouting, screaming. Oh, no, not my cup of tea. Hey, should we get down to work? Yes. What definitely. are we starting with? I think we're starting with Training Wheels talking about the flu season. We can do that. I always know when Training Wheels got a topic because she pulls out her phone. She looks like she's about to text, but she's opening a topic because, what are you called again, a millennial? Yes, Right, <laughs> Go for it,
1: millennial. Yes, I know about technology, young and hip. We're
0: going to um, do a little bit of flu, then we're going to have a break, then we're going to come and um, talk to Bronwyn about her superannuation. Great. That is the plan, listeners and panellists alike. Go for it.
1: Excellent. Okay, so I was going to talk about why the flu was so bad this year. Um, just a few little stats. Um, this year has apparently been one of the worst flu seasons on record in Australia, if not the worst. Yeah, shocker. Um, no. Over 200,000 notified cases of the flu have been confirmed there by the lab test. So I suspect that's probably a bit of an underestimate. Mm -hmm. Um, And I tried to look at some stats from previous years and it was a little bit hard, but the next worst was half that, was Mm -hmm. 100,000 in 2015. Yeah,
0: So I I read about three weeks ago, I read we're up to around about 600 deaths.
1: Is that right? Yeah, yep. I was trying to find out how many deaths. So there you go. Yeah, there an thought, article a couple
0: of weeks ago that said we were up to 600 deaths now from flu-related complications, yeah, mostly the flu pneumonia. Yeah,
1: there you go. We, and I couldn't find stats on whether that's more than other years, but it's definitely been in the public eye a lot more this year, if nothing else. So I wanted to investigate why it's been worse this year. And that, there was a bit of... Um, just if I can do a bit of myth-busting. There were some people saying that the they picked the wrong strain for the vaccine this year, and that's not the case. It's a little bit more complicated than that. So... First,
0: I- That's a shame because that's what I told my dad. My dad got flu this year. <laughs> my, no, my dad got flu this year and he wound up in Rosebud Hospital last week. Oh, no. I had to, you know, rush down there and put on a concerned face oh. in the middle of... I was watching a series on TV. That's hard you um, He's fine now. He's out of hospital. I visited him yesterday as well. Still coughing a little bit, but he got pneumonia post-flu. Oh, so he oh, was no. one of them. And he said, why was it so bad? And I said, oh, they got the wrong strains, Dad.
1: Well, now you can... Eat your words. Right. Um, first, I just wanted to say on as a little side note, I learned a bit about how flu vaccines are made, which I didn't know. I knew that they used eggs, but did you know that the eggs were embryonated? They're fertilised eggs. That sort of creeped me out a bit. I can't. Wow.
0: <laughs> Sorry, tell me why Because it's there's crazy. a baby kind of a chicken in there. Oh. I didn't know what a fertilised
1: meant. <laughs> yeah, it's got an embryo in it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just thought that was a bit gross.
0: So, So there were two factors. So does that mean if you get the flu vaccine, you can grow chickens in your blood? <laughs> well, I know yeah, people with egg allergy can't have, have flu vaccine, can they? True. No, that's true. Egg mm. allergy. Mm. Sorry, go on.
1: Um, so there were two factors that made that meant that the vaccine wasn't as useful this year as it could have been. So the H three N two strain of influenza A this year was selected many months ago, as people will know. But it mut- it mutated between the time that it was selected and the time that it actually arrived. So the vaccine
3: that was made was it, it had mutated in the meantime. Hadn't it also also mutated in the process of making it? So it mutated twice. Exactly, exactly. So the other factor was something which
1: is too complicated for me to understand in the process of making the vaccine, the virus, mutated then as well. So it meant that the flu we got in the community was slightly... wasn't covered by the vaccine. I don't want to say it's the wrong strain because it is the right strain. It's just mutated.
0: So in a nutshell, what they do is, you know... um, whatever, six months before, nine months before, they figure out on the basis of probability and what's around from the testing of people with the flu, what um, strains are likely to cause the flu this year. And, you know, it's normally potentially about, you know, they. and I think our our vaccine has four different four, yeah. strands in it, yeah. um, types, so they pick mm-hmm. the most likely. And that's why the flu vaccine's not as strong as other vaccines. Some vaccines will give you you know, incredibly high rates of Measles protection. Measles
1: is 98% or Is it? Something. 98 mm. See, so That's
0: fantastic. Whereas flu's not that high. Yeah. And it varies from year to year yeah. according to how lucky we are when we pick the likely targets and according to whether the virus then changes after the targets are picked. Yep, But exactly it's still right. way worth having, isn't it?
1: Yes, definitely. Yeah. Because the three other strains were still right. So uh-huh. there was one strain that had mutated and we weren't covered with the, the vaccine. But the other three strains were still... It still was effective. And just
0: to do some more myth-busting, can you catch the flu from having the... Vaccine? Definitely not. Thank you. Okay, what are you <laughs> going to tell us? Keep going.
1: Uh, that's about all I got, really. I just thought that was quite interesting. Another interesting point I learned was that apparently only 27% of the population got the flu vaccine this year.
0: That doesn't surprise me at all. Can you, um, can you talk into the mic when you're talking over there? That's really, free.
3: That surprises <laughs> me. And, and mm. perhaps we're just very proactive at, at the clinic I work at. But, yeah, we I would say that it's well over 50% in our, really? in our practice. So just... I think it depends on... The clinic perhaps or I'm not sure. I found that number very to be very low. I was very surprised when I read that article as
2: well. I'm really surprised on the basis that I was under the impression more and more workplaces were offering it for free to employees. Like mm. at the university, you know, we get yeah. our messages, you know, everybody at the uni can, any staff member can go and grab an inoculation Uh, that's
0: great Mm. at the hospitals they actually actively get us because of course the last thing they want us to do is catch the flu and then infect our immunocompromised patients so we like we virtually it's almost like the flu police at the hospitals i would have thought it was compulsory
2: so it's not compulsory
0: well no they still allow conscientious objection to people who don't want it yeah it's not compulsory you have to
1: sign a form if you don't get one
0: Uh We at least have to ask. It's compulsory to ask everyone to have it and those who... I think that's the plan. We try to reach 100% of people getting offered it and if people don't want to have it for some reason, then, you know, mm. well, I don't think they, they force the issue. Did you get a problem?
4: Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm very pro-vaccines. <laughs> absolutely, I got it. But the thing I got caught out on, which um, I'd love to hear your thoughts, Dr Capri, is that as a mother of two little boys, I didn't actually realise that young children should be having the flu vaccine. So it was only, I think I just read it. And so I went to the GP and I said, oh my goodness, I've got a four-year-old and a six-year-old. Should they be getting a vaccine? And absolutely. So then I, I um, got them... Uh, you know, signed up. But I, I was a bit embarrassed that I wasn't aware of that and I don't think that message is out there in the community. Well, that's a bit community. of a new
3: wave. I don't think you are uh, you can be sort of brought, uh, exposed as a bad parent for that. <laughs> I was just yeah. thinking to myself,
0: she might be a good radiation oncologist. <laughs> but, yeah. no, I,
3: well, I have to say,
4: I felt terrible and I did immediately ring all my friends and yeah. say, have you got your little ones back? Well, well, is in the Do last you know few the it's really
3: been the asthmatic children we've really targeted or any, or children who've got chronic illnesses, but now we know that the paediatric group, are uh, uh, they get it more severely, um, as do the elderly, so they are a bit more of a focus. So, yeah, but don't feel bad about it, because I think most parents were in the same
0: boat yeah yeah but it is interesting only a quarter see the reason you know i think i mean you're in a, i know your practice Ange, and you're in a really good practice so yes. the people who come to your practice are going to be motivated patients and even motivated patients aren't hitting you say you know roughly 50 percent. so you can imagine what it's like in the general community yeah
3: exactly
4: you are listening to a podcast from community radio 3 triple r fm in melbourne australia
0: dr shane from Einstein and GoGo, the show that starts at eleven o'clock, popped in and said he actually read the article about why people who have heart surgery do better in the morning than the afternoon, and it wasn't to do with the surgeons at all. It was to do. It turned out to be due to circadian rhythms in the patients, yeah. not in the um, not in the staff. So there's some good news. That's why we have scientists around to correct yes. the idiots like me yes. who just. Speak a load of crap, and because we're called doctors, people believe us. Hey, but let's talk to a doctor who actually knows what she's talking about. Yes. <laughs>
3: it's good for a change.
0: Well, let's hope. Doctor Bronwyn King is a radiation oncologist at the Epworth and Peter Mack, and the founder and chief executive officer of Tobacco Free Portfolios. Um, I'm going to. I've got this intro that tells you Bronwyn's story, but better still, we'll let her tell it. But basically, she found that a whole lot of superannuation funds invested in tobacco and that people just didn't realise and she did something about it and for all of her efforts she's got all sorts of awards just to let you know Tobacco Control Ambassador for Cancer Council Australia, um, 2015 Vic Health Award for Tobacco Control, yada yada yada. She's done an amazing job but let's hear it all from her. Our mouth rather than me summarising. Bronwyn, g'day again.
4: Hello, hello. Thanks for having me in.
0: Hey, so I know this story but, mm. and you've told this story a lot because it is quite remarkable, but you know, hit us again. I know you're going, oh, do I have to start with the story of how <laughs> I found this out? Yeah, you have to start with the story of how you found this out.
4: Okie dokie. Well, the story is that um, my early experiences as a doctor were really marked by working on the lung cancer ward at the Peter McCallum Cancer Centre yeah. and it was really confronting. Obviously, everyone had lung cancer. Most people were smokers or ex-smokers and most of those people had started smoking when they were children and despite living in this beautiful country with access to very sophisticated medicines during my three-month term working on that lung cancer ward nearly all of my patients died and it was very confronting I was a very junior doctor and it was um I knew that tobacco was bad everybody knows that but it really struck me to see this true impact really from the front line Ten years later, I was buying a house with my husband and uh, the accountant told us to sort out our money. So I organised to have a meeting, the first meeting ever with a representative from my super fund. Mm. And we had that meeting at the cafe at the Peter McCallum Cancer Centre and he brought some paperwork along and showed me how much money I had. And we had a nice little chat and I had a latte and I shook his hand and I walked away and the meeting had ended. And completely as an afterthought, I walked back to the table and I said, oh, by the way, was I meant to tell you what to do with that money? And he said, no, 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 it's all taken care of. You're in the default option. And I said, oh, option, does that mean there are other options? And he looked at me, he rolled his eyes. He looked at me and he said, oh...
0: Don't you worry, you're well, pretty little head about it. That's
4: right. He said, oh, well, look, there is this one greeny option for people who have a problem with investing in mining alcohol or tobacco. And I said, did you just say tobacco? <laughs> and he said, yes. And I said, so you're telling me I'm currently investing in tobacco... And he said, Oh yes, everybody is. And that was March of two thousand and ten.
0: So that's only two thousand and ten. Uh
4: huh. So I've had superannuation
0: since nineteen ninety-eight. That's when I qualified. Mm -hmm. So I invested in tobacco Mm -hmm. for For all those years. Twenty-two years. That's right.
4: That's right. (laughs) And so I had no idea about how the finance system worked or how the superannuation system worked. And but he he explained to me, look, it will be the international shares portion Mm. of your investment of your portfolio where you'll have some exposure to tobacco and I said well could you just tell me which international shares I own and he got back to me two weeks later and I still have this piece of paper that I scribbled down I was in the middle of a ward round and my pager went off and I rushed to the phone and I I wrote it down and my Um, top holding in international shares was British American Tobacco. Mm -hmm. My second was Imperial Tobacco. Mm -hmm. The fourth was Philip Morris and the fifth was the Swedish Match Company, which is a big uh, European tobacco producer. So four of my top five holdings in international shares were tobacco companies. And so that's when I just thought, look, I cannot sit tight on that. It just felt like this great big blind spot that had been missed And uh, it made absolutely no sense to me that this was just happening by routine. Mm. And of course, then I learned it wasn't just our fund as doctors. Mm. It wasn't just, that was Health Super back then. But it wasn't just Health Super and it wasn't just Hester, the other one that a lot of the medical community uh, belonged to. It was in fact just the baseline status quo in the Australian superannuation system. So in fact, virtually everybody that had superannuation at that time was investing in tobacco companies.
0: Now, so let's jump forward to now, And then I'm hoping we can go back to, you know, because I, I, we, we, I, I want to figure out why, how you got from... You know, I've been outraged at stuff a million times in my life. In fact, in the average day, I get outraged three or four times. <laughs> <laughs> and so far, I'm yet to do anything about all those outrages. But I don't want to... I, I want to hear the conclusion first because I think that's so important. So tell us about your organisation now.
4: Well, um, so today um, I run a not-for-profit group, a not-for-profit organisation called Tobacco-Free Portfolios. So we are a charity and we have DGR status and we live on donations. That's the only way we exist. Um, There's only three of us. So um, there's me in Melbourne, there's my colleague uh, Claire Payne in Sydney and we have a UK and European director um, who is based in London and we're working today with about, a, well, at least over 100 organisations, sovereign wealth funds, pension funds, banks, insurers, fund managers, uh, financial rating agencies in 13 different countries mm-hmm. and um, the big news of the week, fresh news this week... is hot that off the press. Hot off the press is that... Um, there was a big anti-tobacco move this week. Um, so BT Financial Group went tobacco-free. Now, that's the wealth arm of Westpac Bank. Right. They went tobacco-free this week. They managed multiple superannuation products, and by that change, now more than 50% of the money in Australian superannuation funds is tobacco-free. Oh, so we crossed the 50% okay. line this week. So oh. it's <laughs> been very, a long time And where was making. it in
0: 2010, do you reckon? What was the percentage that were tobacco-free in 2010
4: less than half a percent. Right. There were a few, so uh, Christian Super was tobacco free, local government Super yeah. was tobacco free, and Australian Ethical. So there were only three funds back then that were tobacco free, and they their combined assets would have been less than half percent of the total amount. And so now it's over fifty. Why is and, it, why, and more's coming?
0: Why <laughs> was tobacco good. such a popular superannuation investment strategy? Is tobacco like incredibly profitable or something? So oh. like investing in cocaine for the um you know Colombians or I shouldn't play. <laughs> That's only because I've watched Narcos. I'm sorry any Colombians that are listening. I'm sure. <laughs> And comes from other places <laughs> too, and thanks for subscribing. Come <laughs> on, <yes. laughs> So, tell us why why all the why the passion for tobacco?
4: Well, I think that the finance sector has never thought of tobacco companies as any different to any other company. So, right. I think that's the first problem. In health, we do think of tobacco companies right. as very different. It's just so obvious and clear cut to us. But in the finance sector, it hasn't been like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Tobacco companies are listed companies. And and so it's just been a routine and normal process for investment that a little bit of money has gone to tobacco. Mm -hmm. So the vast majority of exposure to tobacco has sort of been this incidental exposure. Mm -hmm. If you just invest in an index or you diversify your investments, you have a little bit of money in tobacco. Some superannuation funds or banks or insurers some have had active investment in tobacco as well where they've deliberately chosen to have a lot of money in tobacco that isn't particularly common but it still does happen.
0: So the superannuation funds can find equally profitable companies without using tobacco?
4: Absolutely. It's just asking, I'm certainly not asking anyone to take a cut in terms of their returns. I'm just asking them to reconsider how they make their money. Of course, we all need to make money and we all want to retire and have a dignified retirement, which requires access to to money. So I understand that. However, that money can be made in an infinitesimal number of ways and I'm just asking people to reconsider how we make that money mm. by, and, and, and simply exclude that affiliation with the tobacco industry. And that's what
0: Tobacco Free Portfolios does essentially. You right. lobby people to um, either go uh, public on what they're um, doing with tobacco and their investments or to get tobacco out of their products altogether?
4: Well, actually, we're pretty behind the scenes with what we do, so we have, in fact, gathered great support from the finance sector itself and we really work very quietly with boards with investment teams and with executives behind the scene to first of all um, inform them about the issue of tobacco to educate them about some of the key statistics um, about tobacco and tobacco companies and also um, we educate them a lot about different UN treaties and UN initiatives that require the whole community including the finance sector to take a strong stand against the tobacco industry
1: and do you have any idea what it's doing to the tobacco industry are you putting them out of business yet
4: No, we're not putting them out of business, and I think it's it's quite hard to quantify exactly the impact that we're having, but I like to think of it as this great big, as to I think of tobacco control as a great big pie, where there's all of these different wedges that are important elements. So we have quit initiatives, we educate the community, we have mass media campaigns, we have the government introducing policy, we have our educators educating children to learn about the harms of tobacco. I look at tobacco-free portfolios as that missing wedge, and that is that we have have never before connected with the finance sector and ask them to help us and stand side by side with us and address this issue together because at the moment still while the news in australia is good globally the vast majority of the finance sector invests in or lends money to tobacco companies and that in fact is working against all the rest of us
0: okay so this is the still you know i you know i love the work you're doing it's fantastic and we'll come back to it at the end to tell people how they can donate and etc cetera, etc cetera. so how do you go so this is me You know, three things I get angry about a day and the most I ever do is tell my friends, oh, I'm just outraged about that. How do you go from being outraged, having a conversation in cafeteria in Peter Mac in East Melbourne back then, although now it's in a shiny new building in Parkville, can't help advertising, um, and uh, to this? How did you get from A to B? Well,
4: I think at the very moment I found out, standing there in the cafe, I did have this little moment where I just thought, that is it that's i just i just cannot accept that um, and i every friday we used to have these meetings where radiation oncologists would present to all the radiation oncologists and you we were always meant to present an interesting or complex case but instead Um, that week it was my turn and I presented this. Oh,
0: nice move, yeah.
4: And I just said to everybody, because all of us were owners of tobacco companies and I couldn't think of a group of people who would be more sensitive about that than us. So I presented it and then the head of radiation oncology said, well, you better tell the CEO... Mm -hmm. So I did, and 24 hours later, he rang me back and he'd booked me in to present to the CEO and the investment team at Health Super. And that kicked off the conversation. So it was very nice of him to back me, the CEO. Yeah,
1: he came with me
4: to that. He was, he was fantastic. So that's Craig Bennett, Uh um, the then CEO. He uh, backed me, and he came to the meeting and uh, supported me in that meeting, and that kicked off. What did off. you do
0: in that week? What did you do between being told you had to present to <laughs> um, then? Like, how did you go about research? What did you That's do? That's a
4: great question because I knew nothing at all <laughs> 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 about you didn't get the much finance sleep. sector. No, but the thing is, it was a. It's quite funny. I didn't even know the terms, the really critical terms. So, in the finance sector. Um, Trustees on uh, boards of uh, superannuation companies, they have a fiduciary duty what? to make money. Isn't that a sort of ice now, that cream? It no, no, sounds like it's made But so let me tell you, I didn't even know <laughs> how to sure say that. I'm sure that's an word. ice cream it's like I pistachio. Did Mary Poppins. Yeah. I, I didn't know how to say the word. I'm so glad you're laughing because finance people were, are laughing at us. I promise you, there's a lot of people laughing out there going, oh my gosh, the medical community don't know that word. But the truth is, we don't. And so I actually YouTubed how do you pronounce the word fiduciary? And my, fiduciary, I'm
0: going to. We should all practice. Fiduciary. That's right.
4: And I rang my dad who uh, worked as a chartered accountant throughout throughout his life and I rang him I said, Dad, can you put this word in a sentence? No, no, put it in another sentence. Does this make sense? Yes. Can I please have
0: fiduciary flavoured ice cream? (laughs) Thank you.
4: (laughs) So I had to do a lot of homework and I did ask a lot of people for advice and I remember that morning, I can still tell it was a Wednesday, the day that I had that meeting. I remember in the morning walking around thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, I... I'm meeting the CEO of this big superannuation fund. And at that time, that fund, um, they controlled $8 billion. So I remember walking around that morning thinking, gosh, I'm meeting the $8 billion man and how on earth am I going to make any connection with him? How, Why will he care about this? But, look, the meeting went very well and I think they were a little bit um, sort of surprised at the time that a member would come to them and have a concern and ask them to reconsider how they might make their investments. Even though that's only seven years ago, that was pretty strange back then. Mm -hmm. It's not strange today, but back then really it was. And um, we kept talking and eventually... it. It took a while, but after about a year, I was invited to present to their board. And uh, that's really where things changed. So, Craig Bennett, the CEO, and also Professor David Ball, who has been a great mentor he's the head of, of mine.
0: The lung cancer unit he's at one of the Peter best Mac.
4: lung cancer doctors in the world. Yep. And um, he's been a great mentor to an entire generation of radiation mm-hmm. oncologists in Victoria and throughout Australia. Um, Is he a
0: radiation guy or a medical oncologist? He's a confused. radiation oncologist. Is he right? Yes, and he's published he about 300 and, papers. Yeah, and he's been in the business forever, and <laughs> he so has. he was at the original Peter Mac site when he was in the city. And when I met him, mm. um, he showed me photos and stuff of the original building with like old-fashioned cars. It's still <laughs> stuck in my mind. He's, in, you know, but you know, I, I don't know who his work. So I'm glad to hear that. That's amazing.
4: Well, he's a very, yeah, very well-loved radiation yeah. oncologist in Australia, and so he came with me to that board mm. meeting as well, mm. and um, and so. Uh, the presentation was given to the board, and I knew that things were going to change. It went down very well, and mm. I think that they, the board members really saw that it was possible to do something a different way. And, and did you have the
0: foundation at that stage, no. or did that come after?
4: Oh, gosh, no. That was years later. Yep. It, was, um, it was then in 2012, that in the middle of 2012, that that fund, it had merged by then with another fund called First State Super. Yep. They are now control about um, eighty billion dollars, but they announced that they were going tobacco-free, and since then, there's just been this cascade of change
3: in Australia. Brahman, uh, fantastic! What you, I, I love that you framed it that we medical people own a tobacco company. I mean mm. that that is a very uh, uncomfortable proposition. So mm. I'm not surprised people just sort of took that on board. Now I I hadn't heard about all this till yesterday I'm ashamed to say. And so I've tried to look up and see whether my super because I've got a couple because I can't merge them. I tried to work out whether you can. No no, <laughs> no one of them I actually had my first one oh, really? when, when I was a medical student day 3. So I somehow got embroiled into a super and I've had one all the way back since yeah. then so um but they they are mergeable no no but are i'll they? i'll lose everything anyway I've, okay, uh, clearly okay. i've gotten into it
1: <laughs> <laughs> and t- let's not get I'm from there and in I'm detail
4: and
0: show this, us the documents yeah. let's review and <laughs> anyway, this so- <laughs> illustrates how well doctors know their It's a perfect example
4: exactly <laughs> anyway i
3: tried to look up to see whether that one of the um super companies i'm with is um tobacco free and it wasn't easy to work out. I had to read through and I got to the bottom of, of, the, of the blurb and I thought, oh, hang on, I'm still not clear whether they are completely tobacco free. There's no logo that so apparently you're trying to it. get up and running. This
4: is it. We have a solution to this problem yes. because I agree that it shouldn't Take hours of your time, and it shouldn't take someone who is very well versed in the language of finance or superannuation to know if your own fund and your own money is invested in tobacco companies. It should be easy. Mm. And so, Tobacco Free Portfolios um, has we've just launched this supporter badge, um, and it's a logo that uh, super funds can apply to purchase they would agree to be audited we'll audit them and if indeed they are tobacco free they can use this logo and put it out clearly on their websites and on all of their communications and brochures so that you know that your money's tobacco free and they can be proud about it and hopefully encourage others to follow suit
2: Sounds like a great
4: idea
0: Well your work is amazing so what can people do if they want to donate or find out more?
4: (coughs) Oh we'd love people to support us Um, so you can go to to the website and um, send us an email there is a donate button there and uh, but we would love to hear from people who would um, like to get behind our work all donations are um, tax deductible and um, we are always looking for more support from the community
0: and I'll put this link up on um, our Facebook page Radiotherapy R. after this but the website is tobacco free portfolios one word tobacco free org. Bronwyn King amazing work you get our three triple R medal of honour.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys.
4: Just to add to yes. your other awards. Oh, that's very um, nice. And thanks for
0: coming in this morning and telling us all about it. It is an amazing story, and uh, I'm just so impressed that someone can go from being outraged to doing something about yeah. it. So hats yeah. off all around. Yeah. Good <laughs> work,
4: fantastic. Yeah, thanks, well
2: guys. We'll be back after this short you, break. Oh, sorry. Yeah, just to lead into the break. Um, have you seen the film? Thank you for smoking. No. <laughs> no. Ah, Naren Eckhart. Uh, lead actor in it, um, a Jason Reitman film, and it's situated, Aaron Eckhart plays a recovering tobacco salesman Um, uh, Thank you for smoking Thank you for smoking, it's delightful irony throughout the film, and well worth catching you and I thought, to take us out of that segment, we've got a song from that soundtrack um, by Tex Williams, Smoke 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 That Cigarette, and uh, it points you in the direction of the Pearly Gates
1: Triple R, not for everyone, for anyone.
0: Um, coming up, we're going to hear a little bit about what GP should do, but before we get to that, Panel Beta has been looking at Mindfulness
2: apps. Mindfulness apps. So I was. this was triggered by um, thinking about the delicious irony of, of apps living on our phones, phones being the thing that probably bring us so Shit. much stress and anxiety. So that's where that comes from. We've spoken on the show before about the apps themselves. I think Autonomy and yep. Miss Medic did a, a bit of an exercise on air, brought in a bit of chocolate, and we did some mindful eating and these sorts of things. Um, but it seems Jippies. just in... <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't
0: happen
2: on my watch. <laughs> just end. <laughs> to- <laughs> <laughs> so um, this is more a, about the pervasiveness of it and how it fits in with our world at the moment. And mindfulness, so I just did a quick, you know, straw poll in prep, and nobody, when I said the word a mindfulness, to hadn't heard of it in some way. <sighs> You know, in a quick Google search, you'll get. You know, I just made a quick list. There's mindful parenting, mindful eating, mindful teaching, mindful politics, mindful therapy, mindful leadership, mindful data. Have you read the
0: age yet this morning? No, I haven't. There's now mindful, mindful football. Um, <laughs> Is Richmond, that right? There's this massive article about how Richmond introduced mindfulness a couple of years ago, yep. and they attribute at least part of their success this year to um, mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And and God bless you <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> well, I yeah, have a different word. There you yes. go. Yeah, but if you need <laughs> if
2: you need motivation to sign up to it and get on board. Um um, and there was another article that I um, i read um, a little while back um, that was called uh, "Catch This Beyond McMindfulness. That's and what.
0: Mate, that's why I get cynical. Yeah, that's the McMindfulness. mindfulness. It's now mindfulness for anything. You know, my, my you know I had a bad day at work. Mindfulness. Mindfulness. You know, my kids are misbehaving. Mindfulness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yep. So generically, just to be um, to give us some uh, foundation here, uh, scientific and uh, popular um, views of mindfulness is really about. Uh, stress reduction and attention enhancement you know at its crux that's pretty much how it's communicated as a thing um these days um so i've I've, i was thinking this through and i think there are three ways we can consider mindfulness in our world around us there's there's the clinical there's a medicalization of it which is to consider it distinct from you know the philosophical or the political because at its at its core this is going back to stoicism and you know um you know, uh, oh, we don't Marcus Aurelius. Know. And you tell us
0: we don't know. Stoicism. Stoicism. So, I mean, this is the price you pay for having someone who's classically educated on the show.
3: <laughs> yeah, well,
0: Stoicism,
2: you know,
3: well educated. yeah <laughs> true.
0: Has any education <laughs> at all.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's it's not it's not a, necessarily a synonym for mindful, but it's it, you yeah. know it's it's where you stoicism encourages us to consider the things that are within our control to be present in our life and understand a distinction between what's our core and our centre and what's peripheral to right. us and what we can and can't control. So we've control. got two
0: things then. So there's the medical aspects of the health aspects of mindfulness, the philosophical aspects. You said three. What was the yeah. third?
2: So there was the um, so there's the medicalisation versus the philosophical and the um, political. There's the marketisation, the commodification. Uh, education, you know, so all those books, all those apps, uh, and all of yeah. all of the training courses that you get sent on for professional development, and so on and so forth, um, and you know how you win premierships and this sort of thing. <laughs> um, and then, of course, there's this delicious irony. So I'll just take those one by one um, yep. very quickly in the time we've got. So the the medicalisation, you know that. Um, is pointing to understanding a distinction between how a GP might recommend somebody who turns up and you're considering all different types of responses might be some talk therapy, might involve some other options and might include something like mindfulness. Um, but mindfulness um, in philosophical terms, which predates the medicalization, is really just – wanting us to consider the nature of our thoughts, our speech, our actions. Um, it's a way of making a living, which is is far more progressive and encompassing in our lives than just being in a moment.
0: Am I in, on um, the wrong? Because I always thought mindfulness was essentially a Buddhist philosophy about, yeah, being present in the moment, so about, you know, balancing your, keeping your attention focused on what you're actually doing So the the
2: three big antecedents, right, so I'm obviously coming from the antecedent angle and interested in you guys from the medical angle, Um, the antecedents are stoicism, it's Tao and there's Zen. Tao
0: as in T-A-U. T-A-O. T-A-O. Tao. Oh,
2: Tao. Um, so we've got these ancient philosophies, the the Greek ancients, and we've got these Eastern philosophies, the Tao and the Zen. Um, they've been around forever. And um, there's, again, it's not necessarily synonymous, but there's a lot there that is, is you know, we can easily consider as antecedents, And that is how it is a lifestyle, not just a technique. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, and so there's the way of making a living. There's efforts to avoid unwholesomeness and unskillful um, behaviours, and in and even further uh, developing actions and uh, approaches to the world which are conducive to wise action. Right? You know, the good life. You know, the, that's the that's the Greek Aristotle, Aristotelian um, approach, the social harmony and the compassion. Um, but here's his little kick in the tail when we start to compare it medically. To all of that uh, philosophical approach, is that we get to then understand that it's possible to be mindful and behave in a mindful way and do bad. So mm. it, it's possible to commit a premeditated crime, if you're a, just heinous,
1: really present. a heinous
0: crime, <laughs>
2: and be mindful. <laughs> Right,
0: so I mean, just imagine the bank robbers now. As if I say, "Okay, so we're going there. Make sure you've all got your masks, stand, your gun loaded, and you're all mindful that you're in the moment. Just Don't be aware of your breath. Just think yeah. of your breath. Think your breath.
3: Remember, get save rid of all those money. Save thoughts. money. Yes, yeah. focus exactly. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You call yourself a criminal. Um, <laughs> and then there's another misconception here, which is that um, mindfulness is private. That it's only you that uh, it needs to be addressed and considered in this, um, and of course it is that it is private, it is you, and it's it's you know um, pressing your own buttons, um, but um, it, it if you're if you're say suggesting mindfulness for somebody, you're ignoring the, the, the structural, circumstantial mm. um, things that are in their lives, the things that are affecting them, even if they're out of their control.
0: So sort of essentially the gist of what you're saying, if I'm reading it correctly, is that mindfulness through the commercialisation has <laughs> basically been reduced in a lot of people's minds, or a lot of people's heads to just an app. Yeah. Whereas there's so much more to it if you look behind the, the commercialisation of the concept. Yeah,
2: there's a lot more to it to, to consider. I mean, people would quite rightly say, hey, look, if it works for me, I'm just going to do it. It, right, you know, and right. I think that's a fair defence. Yes. And people said that to me during the week when I was thinking about it. Um, and you know, the proof's in the pudding, so to speak. Um, it, this is just like presenting that there are other ways to consider how it might be understood. And then, of course, that then points us to the irony of it that this is an app that lives on your phone. So, yeah. a, a couple of weeks ago, I reviewed yeah. a book called um, um, Irresistible, and, and it was about how apps in our lives or our you know devices, etc., mm. are causing yeah. so much stress and anxiety and addiction. So here we have it now on our phones. You install an app, um, of which there are thousands of them, it seems. Um, Quick Google search, Um, um, and you'll adjust the settings. You'll get a notification: it's time to meditate now, or you or you you haven't you haven't meditated for three days. Oh god! Yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And again,
0: and similarly, you can lose. You know, because of you know how. How widespread and you know the cynicism around it now? You can lose sight to of the genuine health benefits. Yeah, you know, yes, the, exactly. You know, mindfulness it's it's been combined with cognitive behaviour therapy, so they're mostly be called, called mindfulness based CBT, yep. and it's got a pretty strong evidence base now in. Prevention of recurrence of depression, treatment of some anxiety disorders, and management of chronic pain conditions. Yeah. So there is a really useful roles for this. It's just that I get so cynical because if I hear one more person talking about mindfulness, you know. it's,
2: it's been uh, hijacked. Yeah. 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 Um, so speaking of hijacked, um, uh, people might be familiar with the satirical website The Onion. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: There was an article, um, and uh, the, the headline of that article that I might I put up on our on our Facebook page was. Monk gloats over yoga championship <laughs> 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 And you know, and he'd he'd reduced his um he'd reduced his um heartbeat down to so low
0: that you know <laughs> Anyway, I'll, I'll put hey, it in uh, yep. That is all fantastic. Thank you for bringing that to us. And Dr Capri, you've been having a think about a few things general practice related.
3: Yes. Well, I'm going to be talking about what GPs should do, but I thought that I sh- it shouldn't be me telling other GPs what they should do. Mm. I did a bit of a, a, an ad hoc random polling, Sounds sounds aggressive, of my family yeah. uh, members uh, at dinner last night. And I just got... What did to you the, ask them? I asked them, what should a GP do better Okay, what I asked them should they to re- mm. reference their recent interactions with the GP or any other doctor, really, but obviously focusing on GP, and what they thought they could do better or should do better or maybe stop doing altogether. So uh, I'll try and go very quickly here because there were 10 respondents, but the gist was that um, most of That's them... That's an Italian family. <laughs> Uh, The first one put, um, basically, it was a very pragmatic response about the finances and suggested that GPs should put care before profit. I thought that was very reasonable. The main complaint was that, you know, had been called back in for just to be told that a test was normal um, and had to pay a consultation. But I think a lot of uh, practitioners would argue that being told about a normal test is just as important as a... And the significance as of an abnormal test, but anyway, that was that that um, uh, grievance. The next one was really interesting. It was actually my thirteen-year-old nephew, who is usually attached to his screen. Yep. And his grievance was that he thought it was really rude when doctors didn't maintain eye contact and kept looking at their screen and typing. Oh, wow. And I thought, well, wow, wow, that is really interesting. I'm writing
0: these down, by the way. I'm going to try and rank them. Yeah, go yeah. on. So he just
3: <laughs> thought it was really rude and they should talk to you and they should avoid yep. looking at the screen all the time. And I thought, wow, that's very So far, two of
0: my biggest gripes as well. I'm with you in time. I see it all the time with my doctors on my ward round. So I go on a ward round and I'm speaking to the patient and in the background the other doctors are... On their screens or writing in the yep. notes, and it's
3: the you know, patient rather than I know I'm the, dull,
0: but they yeah. should be focusing on the patient. I don't care if they're in the patient's room; it drives me nuts too. Yep. What's number, number three:
3: three? Uh, individualised care. So we're talking about um, that. This is my sister-in-law who said that she wants GPs to understand how the presenting problem relates to them in their context, in their lives, how, how lives how it impacts on them, and come up with personalised management rather than the sort of the textbook perfect answer. And um, Coffee's these are good. Yeah, and the, and the quote comes to mind. It wasn't from a doctor. Theodore Roosevelt said that no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think that's a really powerful thing for, for doctors to mm-hmm. realise, mm-hmm. that, you know, you can be the smartest doctor in the world, but if you don't look like you've got my back or care about me, I actually don't care what you're talking about.
0: You know, we should start up a website, Tattoos for Doctors, because that would be a really good quote down <laughs> <name>, tattoo <laughs> for doctors. You know, because doctors are always struggling. What tattoos should I get? That would be a really good
3: one. <laughs> I've got lots of them. Oh. but No, not tattoos, <laughs> quotes. <Okay. laughs>
0: Oh, then, Dr. Capri's got tattoos. Did now, you hear
3: that? The most senior <laughs> member, being my mother, who obviously is from a different generation, actually just wants someone to take control, be professional, know what they're doing and tell her what she needs to do. Oh, so that's she just interesting. wants to be a doctor. She wants okay. to be a really good doctor. The next one was um, the perspective was from the consumer uh, who just wants to uh, get what they would come for. Basically, the retail hmm. response, I've, this is what I want. I want the script. I want the, um, the referral. certificate, the referral. Mm-hmm. I don't want to enter any discussion. Just give it to me, and I'm out of here. Which mm. obviously is the least uh, appealing. And that's for me. quite almost <laughs>
0: the opposite to the individualized care one.
3: Exactly. Mm. Yep. Uh, the other one was a um, request for a doctor's just to be thorough and make sure you're considering all the options. Mm. So this person's actually asking for best practice. Right. That being, you know, use all the up-to-date knowledge, all the research, all your experience, and come up with something that's actually valid and um, and then explain it to me in a way that I can sort of use it. That's pretty reasonable. I thought that was, yeah, thought that was very reasonable.
0: She is exactly Sounds like it's going to be bloody hard to be a GP. And
3: uh, (laughs) another responder who was the medically trained person who actually thought the recent interaction, they actually thought it was pretty good. And I thought that... Spoke to the fact that they didn't need so many gaps filled. Yes, mm. they actually understood the language. They knew what it meant. They could take the next step themselves. So they didn't need so much of and that. And you know what? Then tells me
0: therein lies why we need a consumer movement. That is exactly why we have to have consumers on all our hospital committees, all of our, you know, because as doctors, as clinicians, as nurses, as healthcare workers, we are blinded to the gaps.
3: Yes, exactly. Mm. Uh, number nine was um, for the desire for. It's a bit like the individualized care, but it's really just understand what my agenda is. You know, what is it really that I need from you? Mm. And, you know, and I always tell the medical students to to ask... In their, uh, as they're sort of after the greeting to say, how can I help you rather than tell me about your headache? Mm. How can I help you today? What are your main concerns? Because sometimes, yes, they are come in with a headache, but what they really want you to tell them is you don't have a brain tumour. And the last one, which is the most lengthy and I'll have to, is mine. Obviously, I need the last All word. Right. You've got a minute at any, still. At any family discussion, I have to have the last word. Of course. So I've obviously got the last point. My grievance is when I've been as either a patient or a carer, uh, when doctors don't honour the craft, And what I mean by that is listening to the patient, taking a really good history, because we know 80% of the diagnosis is in the history, examining patients, getting more information, communicating what you've decided effectively with them so that they can understand in a language, they can understand it, and then using that information to come up with a patient-based, you know, collaborative decision on how we're going to go forward. And you know what? You just don't see that as often as it would be nice to see
0: me. Oh, sorry, you
2: go. Ahead. I was just going to say, with that kind of a list, it just underlines the challenge for a GP to go about oh, their no, day, enormous, right? So enormous. if you've got 20 people you see, I'm not sure what an average day might be for a suburban GP. Or more. Yes. Yeah, more. Um, you might have at least once during the day somebody wanting that approach yes. and you've got to keep changing the,
0: the gear shift.
3: Exactly. Right. But I love the
0: fact that you're thinking about it and it reassures me knowing that you're a tutor at the medical one of the (laughs) medical schools in Melbourne, that you are teaching everyone this sort of good advice because it is really hard work, it's hard work and you've got to be something to everyone. But on that note, I think we should finish up. Thanks for (laughs) listening to us today. It's Radiotherapy. You've had Panel Beater, Dr Capri, Dr Trainer Wheels. We had Dr Bronwyn King um, talking about superannuation and I'm Dr Doolittle. Bye-bye.